Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are winding down our Dead Center 2019 Film Festival coverage. It's been a wild weekend. There was a lot of movies, a lot of shorts, a lot of parties. I gave Lance McDaniel at least three high fives. I saw Laurent gave him a hug. I mean, that's pretty much every day, but it was at Dead Center, so it was extra special. He's very huggable. Yeah. Very huggable. Glad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, we're going to just gonna talk about some of the movies that we saw that we maybe want to highlight from the festival that might be worth checking out. I uh, just want to give you guys uh, impressions like how do we feel about the festival? What are some good films? What are some good short films? And then we'll close it out. I am not alone. I'm joined by our entire Dead Center team. So if you've been following the cinematropolis.com this week, uh, you've seen some names pop up. Uh, two of which you know, one of which you don't. We're going to start with the ones you know first, going around the table, starting... Across the table, our associate editor sometimes, Daniel Bo Kemper. Welcome back to the Cinematic Very Cinematic. heavy on the associate. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and across the table from me is a returning writer, also at, with us at Dead Center last year, Christopher Schultz. Welcome back to the Cinematic Cinematic. Thank you much. And I'm so excited to be joined for the first time. Uh, she uh, is a writer who is joining us uh, for the first time on the cinematropolis.com. Uh, she's been ri- uh, writing at the Oklahoma Gazette and No Film School. We are really honored to have Joe Light join the Cinematropolis team at Dead Center this year. Joe, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Thank you so much for having me. Good times, guys. It's the last day of the festival. We're all sobered up, right? <laughs> y- yeah, sure. The normal. <laughs> Joe, is this your first festival? No, it is not. Okay. I've been to South by and AFF and Sundance. So mm. I've been to several. <laughs> Long time listeners know these Yahoos were on last year with uh-huh. me. Uh, we were all three Yahoo, very smart Yahoos together. Sorry, you guys are not Yahoos. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. No, we were. Five years worth of Yahoo. Yeah. Um, so, yes, very experienced uh, film festival cover. Okay, excellent. Uh, for the listeners out there, that's good to know. How would you guys say, as a whole, this film festival, having been to a couple now, uh, how, how do you think Dead Center turned out this year? I mean, from what I saw, I think the the, the quality was high, but I saw very little. And <laughs> also, unfortunately, not deliberately, I uh, I think I avoided like all Oklahoman pieces. I, I don't know if I saw anything that had a relation to Oklahoma. And I usually at least hit something that has like some relevance. Like last year with Hal, you know, and Amy Scott and her, her connection to OU, I was able to manage that not deliberately, but this year I somehow missed the local part. Why do you hate Oklahoma filmmakers? I don't know Daniel? why I do. I get, I, I mean, I don't think it's conscious, but, but maybe now it, it is. You're right. Cause last year you missed. Okay. All right. I see how it is. We'll yeah. Yeah. Bit. So my bad, but, but from what I saw, uh, it was great. <laughs> I just can't speak on the, on the local end, unfortunately. But uh, did you feel like the offerings this year from kind of the, the, yeah, actually, and, and we were speaking earlier and I think everyone here might agree. The short films seemed like especially good. I, I really have very, very minor qualms with any of the short films i saw in the selection i had um which was the uh, unheard voices and then the narrative features um i heard were, were pretty good overall as well um at least what i saw and then the documentaries are always pretty consistent i, I yeah think. i think consistently reliable uh yeah. you know hey uh documentary winning best oklahoma feature this year that's a pretty big deal uh, yeah. words from a bear full disclosure it was selected by the oklahoma film critics circle and christopher and i are both members so uh we thought it was really great it was really great. And that was, I had sort of the opposite experience uh, that you had, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I saw a lot more local. But no, um, no Words from a Bear was a, a really great film. It, it's going to be on uh, PBS's American Masters uh, at some point th- later this year. Kind of like Daniel, I, I didn't get out uh, as much as I did last year just because of, you know, day job and, and life stuff. So 
that happened. But uh, while I was there, I really enjoyed it. It seemed to go really smoothly. Yeah, good deal. Uh, Joe, what did you think of Dead Center this year? I thought it went really well this year, really smoothly. The weather was crazy, but um, other than that, everything was really, really smooth. Um, didn't have any trouble getting into screenings. The volunteers did a great job. Um, maybe I'm the happy medium between you guys because I feel like yeah. I saw a good mix of both local and international films and shorts and narratives. So um, there wasn't anything that I was like not happy with. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a sign of a good film festival. You don't have like any just total duds or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Um, unlike Daniel, I, I basically saw exclusively Oklahoma stuff this year. The, the stuff we get every year is always a lot different than what came the year before. I'm thinking last year we had you people kind of leading the charge in Jurassic Games. This year we were looking at Words from a Bear. We were looking at Arrows um, of Outrageous Fortune. You know, which again, even those two were different from the year we had Mickey Reese's Alien and uh, yeah, that a couple other movies that year I think were again just distinctly different. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same names pop up, but the the movies are different. I don't know; it's just a different different types of stories. So that's always it's always interesting to see. I guess Electric Nostalgia was three years ago. Like it's um yeah. an interesting variety. I'd it, say it's nice to have filmmakers that are repeat contributors that like push for that variety too. I think maybe Mickey Reese among them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't think he has any one film that's alike. And fortunately him and like Brad Neely, I don't know if he's as frequent with the, uh, his documentaries as of late, but if the listeners want to go back and check out the interview we had with Mickey last week, he specifically said, I don't want to make a movie that someone's already seen. Yeah. Which has, has anyone else seen Arrows of outrageous fortune? I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, Christopher knows what I'm talking about when I just said the movie is definitely doing one thing and all of a sudden it it's certainly not a movie I've, I've seen before. Yep. <laughs> that is definitely true. That's a, mission accomplished. That's uh, I think that's what that's that's what he seems to be going for. And uh, I would say by and large it worked. It's definitely not Mickey Reese's alien or um, oh, what do you do uh, broadcast or strike your dear mistress and cure his heart. We've mentioned a number of different features here. Did we have any, were there any in particular that stood out to you guys? Start with Joe on this one. Was there any feature films in particular that really stood out to you this year is uh, exceptional that maybe listeners should keep their eyes open for? Well, I'm obsessed with postal. I saw it yesterday. Um, it's allegedly based on a true story. There's like a little bit of, uh, hesitation on the director's part to talk about it as a true story. Cause I don't think he secured the life rights. Um, so he might be, in some legal muddy water there. It's about a mass shooting, right? No, it's oh, about okay. it's about a customer service experience that this guy has. He wants a package delivered same day and spends the whole day on the phone with this customer service representative and things go off the rails and uh, apparently it's true. Um, loses a hand at one point. Whoa. Yeah, That's so it really does go kind of nuts, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's a really funny film. Uh, the director really had a good grip on... The tone—it's uh—it's just ridiculous, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I love those kinds of films, kind of the escalation. I think mm-hmm. that's a good way to produce some comedy. So it sounds like a dark comedy, though. Yes, okay. definitely. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, it's interesting saying it's based on a true story. I feel like you could very easily just take the story and like make some small changes to it, mm-hmm. and then it's all of a sudden, yeah, voila, it's original. Right. But yeah. Interesting. Was there another postal by like Uva Ball? Yes, uh, there was not Uva Ball. <laughs> Maybe that's what I was. You thinking. were thinking of the the video game movie adaptation Based postal. On a true story, loosely, isn't it? So okay, yeah, great. apparently not. But, oh, okay. uh, well, not for this film anyway. But, but Uncle Home is known for it. 
Yeah, well, well, because the... It involved a mass shooting, right? Very, I didn't just yell that out of yeah, context. Very, yeah. yeah, it's very morbid, okay. but uh, <laughs> it was a guy in Edmond. The term going postal came from that but, incident. It's not about that. It is not about that. Okay, Hope, no, and I assume so, it's better than Uva Bowl's. It's a set in Florida. I mean, so. it's, it's Uva Bowl. So. It's a Florida man narrative? Yes, it is. Those have been popping up. Yes. Yeah, so Uva Bowl is definitely the benchmark of all great postal films. I mean, let's be real. All here. great films, <laughs> period. I mean, come on. What are, you know? Yeah. What's the one, the, the, the haunted house? What, what is it? House on the... House on the edge of the blood of the. I <laughs> Dude, I stopped keeping up with Uwe Ball I, movies I, I like ten years is. ago. There was a point in my life when I when I had a lot more time on yeah. my hands where I actually did. I didn't watch them all, but I was tracking all of the Uwe Ball. Oh, movies. House, House of the Dead. That's what House of the Dead. I just House kind of, of wanted to like because you know if you review one of his films negatively, there's a chance he will challenge you to a boxing match. It's <laughs> and that's pretty cool. That's actually happened. Unfortunately, Uwe Ball was not at dead center to challenge anybody to a boxing yeah. match. But I'm glad to hear that. But one day, maybe. <laughs> That one day, one day we will be the film festival that lands such great directors as Uebo. <laughs> oh my goodness! You know he made a uh, he made a another video game adaptation for he did a lot. Yeah, he did a bunch because he's Blood a gamer. Rain and Far Cry. Far Cry. That was yeah. what I was thinking of. I actually watched that, that one. one's bad. Okay, look, we're getting off. We're, <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not good. I don't think he's made a good movie. Anyway, no. Uebo. Maybe one day. Maybe we can call up Uebo and challenge him to a boxing match because I'm pretty sure none of us would write a positive review of his movie unless it was good. No. So. All right, so I'm so glad to hear that Joe liked Postal. Uh, that's one that I looked at the schedule and I really wanted to catch, but unfortunately the stars did not align. Keep your eyes open for Postal, I guess, tentatively, 2019, Postal 2019 on IMDb would probably be the best way to find it. Uh, Christopher, any films in particular that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, we already talked about Words from a Bear, um, which again, see it. And there's a review of it on the Cinematropolis' website as well um, for some more detail about that. But it's basically about in Scott Momaday, um, who is a, very, a, a famous writer. He's an Oklahoma native, but I, he didn't live here for very long before he moved to Arizona. Um, but he still has a lot of ties here. And the uh, I believe the filmmaker who made it um, is from here right. uh, as well. Um, but yeah, just, it's, it's a very, very kind of beautiful, just sort of calming film. It, you, you watch it and you just sort of feel good about yourself. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, so I would, I would definitely recommend that one. Um, and the only other feature that I saw was a uh, home with a view of the monster, um, which, which I thought to be a really solid, uh, debut feature, um, to twin brothers originally from Oklahoma, uh, living in LA now, but they, really wanted to make their first film, uh, here. Um, so that's what they did. And they made sort of a, a weird kind of, uh, mashup of horror movies that, um, yeah, you were comparing it in your review to like the haunting of Hill house and hereditary to some extent. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it seemed the, the thing you said about it made me, I was already intrigued based on the premise. The things you said in your review made me extra intrigued. So, yeah. So they, they take a lot of elements from, uh, sort of various different, uh, horror movies. Um, so like the, the Babadook really kind of stood out because, you know, the, the monster is supposed to be symbolic of, you know, uh, psychological issues or, or emotional problems. Um, 
And then, but, but like paranormal activity, which is a movie I loathe by the way, but, mm-hmm. um, but they, they utilize, which one, wait, which one? <laughs> wait, I mean, pick one. Uh, <laughs> the first one is, is atrocious, but that's a, that's a topic for another, uh, time. Um, but yeah, they, they essentially sort of take like the entire narrative of paranormal activity and sort of condense it into like flashbacks and a montage sequence. Um, and it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of funny the way that they play with that and, and it does kind of work. Um, by sort of putting this sort of supernatural ghost narrative sort of in the background, like it's just sort of a thing that's that happened a, a while ago, but we're sort of dealing with the the later ramifications of it slash other people's problems that are invading these people's lives. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was it was a really interesting film. Um, I got to, I got to meet the the filmmaker's parents uh, while waiting in line as well, and that was a lot of fun. Um, very. Um, very, 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 very much parents, you know, the very, very, very mom and very dad. I'm <laughs> very, very proud of their children. We should interview them. We should interview them on the podcast. I mean, yes, we should absolutely yeah. get, we should get the brothers for, of course, but we need to add like, that's part one of the interview. Part two is the part parents. Two. And they're in the film as well. They played, uh, they, they played basically the Warrens, uh, <laughs> in like a flashback sequence. That's amazing. That was, them. That, that was their parents. Wow. Yeah. So like they're actually the Warrens. like in they're, they're the Warrens. No, no. I mean, they're playing like a, a fictionalized. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the way the Warrens go in and out of horror fiction these days, I had to, I just had to clarify. Well, I mean, it's still the 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 jury's still out as to whether or not they're actual, you know, really real people or not. Um, they could just be inventions of of um, you know someone's uh, imagination. But this is the, wait I, what the how uh, the Warrens have the, been, the Warrens <laughs> so wait the, the Warrens haven't been real this entire time the Warrens have not been real I mean I are mean, the Warrens the same fa- okay hold on can you back up what are the who are the Warrens again are they're, they're, they're normal investigators I, I can't I can't I can't go too off the rails with the Warrens because I also really hate them I, 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 I also despise them I just think it's hilarious that we were are they real I don't know. Well, they, I mean, they basically play characters is, is what I'm getting at. They're, they're oh, not, oh, 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 okay. Are they, they're okay. They are real people, but real are, people. They, are they conning people? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're con, they're con people. Um, that's yeah. So anyway, they, but they're like the famous paranormal investigators and like the conjuring movies are based okay, on their okay. cases. And, and I don't know what you're talking about, man. They were, the, they were legit. In the yeah, they were there though, Chris. <laughs> yeah. They they work better as fictional characters in movies. Guys, how, why are we talking about Uwe Boll? <laughs> <laughs> this is taking a lot of random, the Warrens and Uwe Boll. That's going to be the takeaway from this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I think it's fantastic, hey, but I, I uh, think, I think the good folks at dead center would like that. We're, we're generating such you know, broad conversation from this one film festival. All right. Yeah. So, so, uh, listen up dead center folks. What we were saying is we want, we have to come and get in a boxing match with the living Warrens. I don't know. Are they both alive? They're both dead. Now. Oh, they're both. Oh, they're, oh, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Do they have children? No, not Elizabeth Warren. Whoa. 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 They Lorraine were Warren. <laughs> Lorraine Warren uh, died, what, like a month ago or something? Oh, that's it. Okay. I remember I'd seen yeah. that in the headlines. So they could, even better, he can come and fight ghosts. Not, and we want to make sure to clarify this is not, yeah, to, we're not talking about fighting Elizabeth Warren, no relation. That would be interesting. To the I mean, maybe. I mean, a good uh, a good campaign booster come and fight <laughs> well, at Dead Center Film Festival. Uh, well, you know uh, how AOC had that documentary about her election. Maybe Elizabeth Warren. That's how she gets into the film festival circuit, right? She makes a yeah. movie about her potential election maybe and why then she why fights a Why don't more politicians do that? I feel like it helps. It's always the ones that like are like 
I mean, AOC had what I thought was a really good objective. Well, she actually had a – I mean, whether – okay, whether or not you agree with any of her politics, I think it's safe to say that what she did was kind of incredible. And her campaign was successful. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the yeah, yeah. point. And, uh, but uh, I don't know why more do that. It, it seems like it's just the, the politicians that end up being, like, really shitty are the ones that get the – maybe for good reason, get the documentaries made about – like, uh, what was it, Anthony Weiner and his <sighs> – Oh, yeah, you see that from a few years ago. I yeah, I didn't see it, but I know what you're talking about. It's a, it's a bit of a it it's was a heart wrencher. It was so. called Wiener. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it? <laughs> it was just called Wiener. You know, I actually had this conversation, guys. Okay, I promise we're going to bring it back. But you know, while we're on this tangent, <laughs> I have legit been asking this question the last couple of years, especially in like all the Me Too era stuff, which I think you know it's really awesome. But I'm like, why do we always make documentaries and like biopics about the worst people? I mean, I know there's you're, you're, the, a lot of the themes are interesting, but you're like, I'm like, wow. There's a lot of really great people we don't ever put in like feature and biopics. Maybe it's because they're great and we already know why they're great versus you put bad testable people up there because well, the, the thing is like we'll also put bad people in there it, it, they'll get a biopic but we'll like completely change how awful they actually were like, oh yeah Ray yep. Charles for instance uh, was not a good person at all yeah. um, but you know are we gonna talk about how he beat his wife no no. You kind of gloss over that stuff. Give Jimmy Fox an Oscar. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, so anyway, Joe, <laughs> Joe, welcome to your first podcast in the I, cinematic. Story. I knew none of that about Ray Charles. That's why I'm. I oh think, yeah. I oh. think my entire knowledge of him was actually from the film. I'm glad you brought that up. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bob Marley too. Like, Bob, Bob Marley too. <laughs> This is definitely, we are. See, this is that we've been to a film festival because we're like talking around the films. And talking about Uwe Boll, Ray Charles, and the Warrens. So, uh, Joe, where do you weigh in on any of this? Do you have any opinions at all? I mean... Well, that's educational for me to learn about the Warrens. Um, I didn't realize that they were... I only care about their little museum where they have, like, Annabelle locked up. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, they... uh, I could go on and on about the Warrens. I, I, I wrote an article about them once, just about how how fraudulent they actually are. How angry Um, they make you. But they... um, Yeah, yeah. Um... I could go on. I I, I won't. I won't. (laughs) So I'm making the statement right now. I need need listeners, I need you guys in the room to hold me accountable. Next time there's a Conjuring movie, which is every like six months now. Next uh, year Mm -hmm. there's going to be one. Yeah. Yeah. Me and you will sit down, especially if the Warrens are featured in it somehow. We'll sit down. And they will be. Of course they will, because they're they're basically like the superhero of the story. Yeah, anyway. yeah. It's 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 the Marvel Cinematic Universe version I, of Paranormal Investigators. So. It's it's well, well, you know, they took what's is it, one of the producers of the Conjuring Universe. They pulled off to get on the DC stuff. I mean, so you're not oh, you're, you're not far you're not far off. Yeah, did not know that. Um, it wasn't like a known guy. Like I I couldn't tell you what his name was, but I remember it was specifically they they you know when when all the Zack Snyder stuff wasn't working out, they pivoted and that's where they looked because they were. I mean, Conjuring's building a cinematic universe. So it's, we are yep. so wow. We are so wildly <laughs> so off topic. Me and you, twenty twenty, when at twenty twenty, we're going to talk about the. There, Conjuring. there may be an, an Annabelle movie coming up. Too I we could talk really about. think there's another least. Annabelle movie coming this year, like yeah, very soon. Very, yes. Yeah, yeah, coming like out in the next like two or three months, probably. Mm-hmm. We'll do it then. We'll, we'll have a war. We'll, okay, we, we will. We will knock them down a few pegs. I have just. I mean, one. they're dead now. So, it <laughs> no, and while we're at it, Can't as get Dave Chappelle lower. once said, "If you have hate in your heart, let it out." I just want to know something, Chris. I inherently do not believe anyone who says they communicate with the dead or a paranormal investigator and likely have a documentary or something on the History Channel to that effect or the Travel Channel. What makes them different than? 
Ghost Hunters International. <laughs> well, they're they're kind of the ones that started it all. Uh, okay. I mean, it, like it's it starts with <laughs> they're the, the Nosferatu. Daniel, either. you're giving we're, we're giving away too much. We yeah. gotta save it for the special Sorry. podcast. So, I mean, I mean, stay tuned for the Annabelle. Whatever Annabelle goes to the bathroom uh, that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle begins again. A- Annabelle uh, does America. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Um, but yeah, they, they it started with the Amityville Horror, which is sort of like the yeah. very first. Like this was definitely based on a true story, and we know we are definitely not lying about. But this. it was like their recollection of it. Like was that the source material? They were so. It, was it corroborated by? They, I mean, they were there, and they were sort of doing the investigation. They got kind of famous from being a part of the Amityville Horror, but then they they sort of ran with it. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it, it's a long and very sort of. Uh, very very gross career that those two have. Um, very it makes you feel icky. So, dead center. You so, gotta bring the Warrens back from the dead. You gotta make this happen. I mean, at this, the dead center the, of dead this center. argument. Oh goodness, we talking about things that are dying very fast. This conversation being on track. Uh, <laughs> so I promise we're just not just off track every week. Uh, Daniel, what was a feature that you would like to highlight? Narrative or documentary or a well, uh, narrative, unless you really want to talk about a doc, you can do both. Actually do both. Yeah, go for it. Okay. I'll, I'll keep it brief. So, uh, come as you are, which was the, um, won the, uh, jury prize, uh, or the special jury prize. Is yeah. They, the they give, time? they give away a couple of those. Yeah. For a uh, narrative feature. Um, it was a film made in, I believe Illinois, but it's a American like road trip film directed by Richard Wong. I don't, I don't know what else he's done, but it stars. Was it like a remake or reimagining? Oh, uh, yeah, film? yeah. And yeah. it's a remake of a uh, 2011 uh, Belgian film, Hasta la Vista, uh, having, having nothing to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Terminator. Uh, but still a great film, nonetheless, um, which in turn is about a true story of, uh, I believe, Asta Philpot, who is uh, an American who has a... It's not, I don't think degenerative disease is the right word for it, but it's a, a disease from birth that um, basically your joints don't don't really work the way they're supposed to. So so inevitably, while you can live your entire life, you likely will not be able to to move your mobility. Uh, most people are, are effectively quadriplegic with this disease. Um, and thus, any like social life, any normal interactions are, are likewise hindered. So um, Asta, what he, he wanted to do uh, when he was in his mid-20s was, you know, I, I can't develop a sex life. I don't know how to build relationships with people without something. And he found a legal brothel in Belgium that catered to two people with disabilities. And so he, uh, he went there with a few friends who were... Um, uh, likewise suffered uh, from disabilities and um, found a way to to kind of both have the interaction they've been looking for, which is a sexual experience, um, but B, it also helped them, you know, it gave them the confidence essentially to develop more meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. This might sound a little bit familiar to a film that came out in 2012 um, that featured uh, William H. Macy, and I can't remember who was the lead in it or the director, but it was The Sessions, which was about oh, yeah. a, I believe, a quadriplegic man who... who um, hired a sex therapist to, to help him kind of get through life. And, and then from there he was able to build relationships meaningfully, um, not just sexually with, with a number of different people. And this film kind of follows that. So it follows, uh, Scotty who's played by Grant, uh, Rosenmeyer. 
Um, I didn't recognize much of his work, except he uh, was in the Royal Tenenbaum several years ago. He might not look the same <laughs> as he, he did in that film. Because what, that, he, and that was in the 90s. Yes. Late, early 2000s, right? Early it was 2000s, the Royal Tenenbaum. It was like 2001. 2001. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was early odds. Okay. He, right. he played, I think, an 11-year-old, maybe younger. Okay. So he... Um, so you might he might not look too familiar, and in this film especially because he's playing essentially Asta, this man who lives uh, with a uh, he's a twenty four year old who lives with this uh, disease with his mom, and um, you know she effectively takes care of him. He's very passionate. He tries to develop his comedy, his charisma. He enjoys rapping, freestyle rapping a lot, um, but he you know he's never had a sexual experience, and he knows that's one thing that's like he's desperately missing in order to make uh, you know any kind of like meaningful. Um, social interaction and the film plays with this kind of weird because at first like a lot of his raps are a bit uh, chauvinistic a bit grotesque and you kind of want to hate him at first they they kind of frame him as a, a guy who's kind of a jerk but slowly you see that as it's a defense mechanism effectively and the film is very keen to, to paint it as such um, I don't know how the original film fared in this realm because it feels very Americanized um, the way they build up Scotty it doesn't feel like something that's um you know, that would have appeared in the Belgian film, I guess. It just wouldn't have made sense, at least in the time it did. But maybe it was. Um, I don't know. But either way, this character translated well, as well as uh, Matt and Mo, played by uh, Hayden Setzo and uh, Ravi Patel. He might know from, like, Master of None. He was also in Longshot uh, more recently. Um, both a uh, another friend who is uh, wheelchair-bound, but his uh, um, upper torso is mostly functioning. And then Mo, um, who is who's legally blind. Um, they all are kind of serve as these antithesis to one another and they find out in Canada there is a, and I think they're living in like Midwestern, uh, America, but in Canada there is a, a legal brothel that, uh, Asta Philpot himself actually plays the, the, I guess the owner, the proprietor of it the, is the kind of a cameo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, to that, you know, you can make a donation and, and it's, it's, it's legal through that method. It's in Montreal. And so they'd resolve to uh, hire a driver outside of their, uh, their care network and drive to, uh, you know, road trip essentially to Canada and without the knowledge of their parents who are their primary caretakers. And the driver is actually pay, uh, Sam is played by uh, Gabby Sidibe who, you might know from Precious was where she, oh yeah, yeah, um, you know, had her bit of a meteoric rise uh, in her career. So overall, the film was was really nice. It takes, it balances its humor well because, like, you think of like American road trip films, and so like I default to like Road Trip with Tom Green and like other films that aren't so serious. You think of like maybe Van Wilder, National Lampoon, and then you kind of have to broaden it to define it as like other things like Thelma and Louise. I, I would consider a, a road trip yeah, film, Yeah, I can see that. but like it, it, it's weird. And the, the interesting thing is a, it was filmed entirely in Illinois, despite technically the film takes place across eight States. So, um, with a very low budget, they were able to, to utilize what they had access to, but B, um, it was really quaint. Like you feel like it would have been super, it's really is a bunch of guys. I mean, they make the joke repeatedly, a bunch of guys going to get laid. Um, and at first that seems kind of funny and it does feel like a more lighthearted comedy, but it quickly takes a turn for the, the, both the more severe, but I think also the more, more moving. Yeah. Um, ultimately. So I think, I don't know, the script really carries the film more so than ever, but it also has a cast that can deliver their lines well. And it doesn't feel as sometimes, um, films of this nature can feel a little bit clunky, can feel a bit heavy handed. And this film knew when to dial, 
back and forth, I mm-hmm. guess, with its stakes. And and that's rare to see that kind of ability to navigate. And apparently it's a script that's been around since like 2012 is when they initially wanted to adapt it. Right. And it just sat in the incubator. Apparently Emile Hirsch was in line at one point huh. um, for uh, the lead. And then for whatever reason, it sat in development hell. And as uh, as many Hollywood store, film making stories happen, there's an awesome script that came out and then takes like 10 years to get made. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was this as well. But but I think the form it appears in now was might be the uh, about as good as it probably could have been. Excellent. So, Excellent. So um, that's Come As You Are? Come As You Are. Okay. Yep. Check it out on IMDb. I don't know. There was no announcement as to where it would be streaming. It's hitting the festival circuit continually okay. right now. Okay, so so you might find it at a film festival. It'd be the best way for listeners maybe to catch it. Right now, I wouldn't be surprised within the next six months if you found it somewhere, you know. Like on, on demand. demand. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the one other thing, and I'll spend a lot less time on the other film, was a uh, documentary feature, Jay Myself, which is based on the uh, the life and work of Jay Mizell. Who was a uh, you know they didn't they didn't stretch too hard for the the title, uh, but he is a uh, a probably one of the most successful commercial photographers. He was most prolific in the '60s and '80s. He is kind of known for he bought a bank as like a pretty young man dude uh, when he first started his career. He he literally just bought a six story bank in New York and he has lived there for fifty years. So while the film documents his career, it also documents him moving out mm-hmm. and the collection of things he's he's put in this bank because it's like. It's six stories completely filled with just objects because they're really their only uses for photography. So he has the bolts of a machine that he took apart years ago, all separated out in this like these these individual caddies. And um, it kind of just looking at a person who's who's lived their life, raised a family like this. The reason I'm I'm hesitant to really give it a glowing review, and this is sometimes the problem with documentaries, is when the subject becomes a little problematic and there's like something that like lingers on. So I question the I guess the sincerity or if I really care about this. There's a moment where he starts talking about like bum he says he uses the word bums for homeless people. Ah. Which he's an older guy. I mean it people sure. you know, maybe maybe you give a pass for that as long as they're not being being assholes. But like it's weird to me that he's talking about like the only place I don't like about living here is the amount of he bums and he's like, Oh, they don't bother me. They just they just, you know, sleep, you know, on the on the curb and they look really sad. And I'm like motherfucker you have a six story building that could house like two to three hundred people mm-hmm. and like you and then the film only spends them it seems like that would have been an interesting conflict to look at like here's a person who's kind of in a way living in a form of excess he's still an artist sure. he's still yeah you know doing his thing but then you see you know the, the homeless that surround his building for them to like really gloss over that and it's like that lingered yeah have, that comment happens really early in the film and you think they're going to, to do something more with it weave it into it and it it just doesn't. And and likewise, the pacing is a little weird. You get the whole like an hour of his career mm-hmm. and then the final 25 minutes is like, oh, and I'm transitioning out of this move. Like I, I've got to. And then it's about how long it took, like, you know, 25 basically full size U-Haul trucks to like load up all this stuff and get him moved somewhere else in New York. But not quite as good, like objectively well made. But but I feel like there wasn't. But, you know, there were questions that could have been asked that maybe the documentarian just like deliberately just turned yeah. a blind eye to probably because he was a student of myself. Yeah. Um, so you just wanted to celebrate him and it makes it kind of weird when you don't. I don't know. I feel like in a documentary, you should probably approach every like we were talking about earlier with like the Ray Charles biopic and, uh, you know, the biopic of any a number of uh, other yeah. people that that aren't great. If you see them in a moment of 
being not great. Maybe, I don't know. I think yeah. it's not inappropriate to, to emphasize that. Or yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, so, like maybe, maybe, uh, find know. a way to like work that into the story or yeah. make that a part of the, or, or, or just make it more clear. Maybe, maybe you don't plant it like narrative seeds as much as you are just trying to highlight that they're not a good guy or maybe that they're, or they're yeah. probably, or they're com- problematic, you know, and he, and he might a, be okay. Yeah. And that it's just the weird thing is it's like a conflict of interest, especially yeah. when your subject is still very much alive. Like, I don't know, maybe you can't yeah. Well, talking about making documentaries about people who aren't, or, you know, doc- documentaries about biopics about people who might not be the best but uh yeah i want to go ahead and talk a little bit about the art of self-defense uh which is a great film that i caught actually caught it south by southwest a few months ago and uh was excited to get another stab at it again this time and uh i'm excited because i think we're going to be looking at fingers crossed an interview with the director uh riley stearns that'll be going up on the website hopefully later this week it hasn't been recorded yet but we are on the schedule <clears throat> so uh yeah uh, you know i think uh, listeners will keep keep their ears uh and eyes on the rss feed but uh this is a film uh that stars uh, jesse eisenberg as a, a guy named casey davies he's um kind of an accountant who basically gets mugged and de- just gets mugged and beat the little crappy gets beat out of him so huh. he survives this really traumatic events where he just straight up gets beat up by going to learn karate that's the premise and uh, it's a very dark comedy. I don't like. I want to say it's something along the lines of like a. There's a little bit of like Wes Anderson in there. There's a little bit of oh I don't know what's a like a Cronenberg. There's like a lot of like really dark. Wes Anderson and Cronenberg is an interesting combination. So, yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's very like the the jokes. It's a dark subject matter. Um, I would actually say, okay, here we go. Fight Club, a touch of Cronenberg, executed like a Wes Anderson movie. There you go. Starring, starring Jesse Eisenberg and Imogene Poots. Like it's, um, I think if I was going to pitch it, that's what, because it, thematically it has a lot in common with Fight Club. I think the scope's quite a bit smaller. It's more, not that Fight Club's not a character story, but this seems like it's more about the character and his relationships with the people around him, less about the big philosophical ideas. But I mean, the movie does tackle some pretty big themes that I think are very relevant. Uh, you know, toxic masculinity, uh, cycles of violence. Uh, I think, um, you know, uh, feminism to a, to a certain degree. Imogene Poots is like constantly having to work to get into this. She's not respect. She's straight up. She's not respected. Like, even yeah. though she's actually better at karate than all of these other people, she's still like looked down upon by the rest of the group and not, and it, it's not even to the point where she has to prove herself. It's just, they are like, nah, women just, just can't be the, that good at karate. They don't deserve to wear this like superior belt. Like it's, so it's a thing they deal with. Um, it is really funny though. Like dark, funny, like it's upsetting and funny. Uh, the South by Southwest audience that I caught it with was there for it. Uh, they got it. They were laughing at it. It was very uncomfortable quite a bit of the time. Like just the movie as a whole was uncomfortable. And I think everyone's yeah. kind of laughing to kind of let it out. And um, I think it works really well as a comedy. The uh, OKC crowd was also into it to a much more restrained degree, I would say. It's a different crowd. It's a lot of nervous laughter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like uh, there's the, yeah, there's the South by cloud uh, crowd that's like, laughing at the jokes because it's hilarious but also kind of continuing to laugh a little bit because of how uncomfortable and upsetting some of the stuff is yeah then there's the okc crowd that's like oh is it okay for me to laugh uh i guess i'm gonna do it anyway because this is really bad <laughs> like not the movie sorry the, what is happening in the the narrative the story is really bad but uh, i want to give a shout out to it though the art of self-defense this is a film that's actually going to be going wide i believe july 12th it's gonna be doing a limited run early early july and going wide 
later that month. So if you, this is a, that's a film that you will be able to catch. And I, uh, it's uh, distributed by Bleecker Street. I highly recommend you find make some time this summer to see it. There's tons of blockbusters. Uh, they're going to be playing all all summer long. This is a really good low key one. I think it deserves your money, and I would really love to see what else Riley Stearns can cook up if given the opportunity. So I say support this movie, and I also think it's probably one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Um, just it's just an interesting movie. I have to say, I, I, I saw the brief description of it. I mean, I didn't read it very much in depth, and I was just like, oh, it's a, it's a Jesse Eisenberg karate movie? Mm, okay. Um, so it, I, know, I wasn't yeah. that interested in it, but you talking about it actually makes me want to see it. Well, I think uh, we'll go ahead and move on to talk a little bit about the short films. I'll go ahead and just kick us off by talking a little about The Stand-In. That is the winner of the Okie Shorts this year, directed by... Uh, Yusuf Kazime. If you're here local in Oklahoma City, you probably and you're really plugged into the film community, you probably know him. Uh, he's really a swell guy. He uh, works in the Oklahoma Film and Music Office and is very supportive of a lot of projects. So, uh, you know, it was a, a really touching story, basically about this gay wedding that was happening, and someone's mother would not be at the wedding because it's not supporting a gay marriage. Right. Yeah. And so there, another person stepped in to kind of fill the role of mother mm-hmm. uh, is, for the person, the, the true story of uh, the, the free mom hugs. Yes. Uh, woman, uh, whose name escapes me. Um, yeah. It is essentially, yeah, it's essentially a, a story a story mm-hmm. of her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So free mom hugs is a, is that an actual nonprofit organization mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma city for people, uh, for, um, people who are getting married, uh, you know, with, uh, same sex couples or whatnot who their parents don't show. So moms who don't come up to the wedding. Cause that's actually a big problem, especially here in the Bible belt in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, and the, they have women in the organization, uh, who go and kind of stand in and are emotionally supportive for those people. So on their, on their big day. So, uh, it's actually made a lot of headlines nationally. I think she, the founder was, uh, I'm gonna look her up right now just so we get the name down. Well, there's, there's apparently going to be a, um, biopic about her starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Cause Jamie Lee Curtis specifically came to pitch her and said, I want to make, I want to make a biopic about you. Yep. That's amazing. And that's, that's Very how, cool. uh, our friend Lauren Chapman got to meet her, um, and he's also in the stand-in. Yes, Lauren Chapman was in the stand-in. Uh, we had uh, it, it was a good little. I think it was a n- neat little community thing. There was a lot of mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, a lot of the, the talent here in Oklahoma City. I mean, Jacob Burns worked on the short film. Um, it, it was good. I think uh, the, the short block in general was great. I, yeah. I find this. I think this is a firstly, it's just a really well made short film. Um, but I, I do think the moment of time with the political climate at where it is, seeing a very uplifting story uh, from an underrepresented group of people just played very well at the festival, mm-hmm. um, played very well for critics. So I think that's why it won the best uh, Oklahoma short film. And, uh, you know, Yusuf's been hustling really hard here in the film community for a while. So, uh, I mean, kudos to him. Uh, well-deserved hard work. Uh, but I, I will say the rest of that block is excellent. I think the entire Oki shorts, we, we talked about it earlier. Um, I, I mean, all of these short films. So like uh, Los Americanos, Spirit Citizen, Means of Transportation, Mobius, the the painting, Swing on a Star, like uh, oh, the third. Like these are all 
all of them, even uh, short films I never would have watched on my own. Uh, normally, like that, were pretty. I mean, pretty well made. Uh, just and, and and not just from a from a production standpoint, but they they really capture the human element uh, rather well. I think so. Uh, kudos to everyone who made Oki Shorts this year. But yeah, the stand-in was the the was the winner. Uh, so yeah, so the the founder of the Moms Hugs, a free Mom Hugs organization, is Sarah Cunningham. Sarah Cunningham. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So uh, maybe this is a little bit of a sneak peek for that Jamie Lee Curtis biopic. Maybe who knows? Maybe maybe we'll see. We'll see. See down the road. Joe, was there any uh, short films in particular that stood out to you at the festival this year? Um, yeah, I saw the Love, Sex, and Death shorts, and there were several in that block that I really really enjoyed. I wrote about them as really a good platform for a lot of female voices, um, which I appreciated. Uh, there was one called Baggage that was really cute. Uh, it's basically a woman who experiences all her self doubts as her ex-boyfriends who just follow her around constantly and talk about her body or talk about her choices. Um, and it's really, really funny and cute. And I think that one probably is online. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, and then there was another one on that block called Formaldehyde, which is a little bit darker. It was uh, about a coroner who is played by, um, sorry, I'll find his name. Was this the one that was in French? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Was this one in French? No. No. Okay. No. Um, this is the one that features John Reynolds, who's from uh, Search Party and uh, Stranger Things. Um, he plays a coroner who can. He basically imagines himself talking to the victims that he gets picked like picks up. Ooh, that is a, that's a heavy um, one, man. Ooh, yeah. Man. Um, but it was really well done uh, because it was really sensitive. Um, it was some. It was a girl that had died at a party. And so he kind of uses that experience to look at that person's life and what was going on in her life and kind of involve himself in it a little bit in a way that isn't creepy. It was just, it was really sensitive and smart um, and well done. And I appreciated that one too. Um, but the whole So baggage and formaldehyde are the, the good ones. Those are my favorites probably from that block. There were several strong ones um, about death and religion and relationships and, some of them were funny and some of them were really heavy. There were two French language ones in that block that were a little bit more artsy and longer, uh, but still really strong. Very cool. And you uh, wrote about those. Uh, those are up on the cinematropolis.com for listeners who want to dive into the that's the death, love, and sex shorts. Yeah, wait, sorry, I got that wrong. Love, love sex, sex death. death. Wrong order. Love, <laughs> sex, and death shorts. Uh, all right. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Any shorts in particular that stood out to you this year? Yeah, I went to the After Dark uh, Shorts block um, again this year, um, and it was a really solid block. I mean, honestly, I don't think that there was a bad one amongst them. Um, You know, some stood out more than others. This one in in particular this year was really leaning into, like, the horror and, and, you know, bizarre, um, which I, I appreciated personally. Um, not a lot of people in the audience did. They, they were, it was a very cranky audience when I saw it and they, they were, they were, they were not happy that it was as, as dark and strange as it was. Um, the after dark shorts, the after dark shorts, Yeah, they were upset that the after dark shorts were dark, you know, yeah, there's no accounting for taste, I suppose, but, Mm. um, or or the ability to read what you're getting into. Sure. Fair fair enough. (laughs) I I, I will say, but when I think after dark shorts, I think, I mean, yeah, dark's part of it, but I always think like the midnight shorts because I know we don't technically have a midnight shorts block at dead center, but I always think of that, right? The closest thing I think to what, and I mean, you're not really, you know, it's not like you're going into 
um, eraser head or anything like that. I mean, there's nothing that's like that. You're not going to see beyond the black rainbow or anything. No, no. I, I mean, maybe uh, there was a particular, and, and the filmmakers were in attendance, um, for the, for the, um, the block, the screening block that I went to. Um, it, it was, a, it was a trio of, um, of short films. They were each, I don't know, like eight to 10 minutes long. Um, but, um, it, it was called who you are. And, um, basically, basically the premise is they have this, this computer and it's, it's just like an old, you know, Apple. It's, it's like an old Macintosh from like the eighties, but, um, it, it can read your soul. It can tell you essentially who you are. Um, and it, 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 they, they very much play it for like how goofy it sounds, but it's also really creepy. Um, and it's, it's very funny and then very, very kind of unsettling at, at turns. Um, they had a, um, a, uh, guy who's like really involved in like improv, uh, to do the voice of the computer. And so he's really foul mouthed and it's, it's very funny the way that the computer will sort of talk back to these two guys and like sass, like he's a sassy robot essentially. Um, but then it'll get, it'll, it'll, it'll turn and it'll get really weird and really dark. Um, so that, that, that was a particular highlight. And, and I think too, like even beyond it being dark, it was just so strange that a lot of the people weren't just really gelling with it. Um, but this is um, it was a trio of short films, but they it's five installments altogether. And they're basically trying to make this as a proof of concept for a series. So um, we may see who you are, the series um, on down the road. But um, other than that, there was a really good stop motion film uh, that showed called Framed, um, which is basically to kind of sort of talk about the the. Um, uh, the premise of it would be to sort of really give it away. So I, I think it's, it's better to seek it out. I don't know if it's online or not, it's a Spanish language, I think, or maybe Portuguese, I'm not sure. But yeah, really kind of reminiscent of like the characters in it looked sort of like Wallace and Gromit, but it was also like the key brothers, um, who do really strange experimental, uh, stop motion or like, uh, yawn, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because I never get it right. Uh, but the guy who made like a, the Alice in Wonderland adaptation, uh, stop motion and, uh, tons and tons of short work. Um, so, so yeah, it was just, again, kind of this mix of like the characters sort of look funny and there's like cartoonish type stuff happening, but the, the, the narrative is really dark. Um, so that one really stood out. And then the, the third one that was, I really, really stood out was called the other side of the box. And uh, again, it, go, go into this one blind. I, I bet you're going to find it online at some point or, you know, somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's that, that one is really wild. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, I mean the, the entire block was really good. It didn't, it, it really clipped by. I didn't, I didn't feel the, you know, 90 minutes, two hours of it. Um, it was just a really Solid collection. So good block, good pacing. That's another thing about the the Schwartz blocks. Some there have been definitely been Schwartz blocks, and not even just at Dead Center, but at, at film festivals you go to sometimes, and you're like, there's like two that stand out really well, and there's the other three that you're less enthusiastic about, and you're kind of waiting to get to the next one. But it sounds like, all right, all right, at least across the board over here, that all the shorts were pretty strong in general. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel, uh, any shorts in particular that stood out to you? Yeah. So I saw one collection, the uh, Unheard Voices shorts. I'll have a, a full review reaction uh of that probably up on the cinematropolis later it was eight films um they were all i guess unheard voices more so channels like the uh, usually it's films about the the marginalized or the the oppressed or the literally the unheard um and whatever that may entail so there's films about 
um, probably the first film that it opens with, which is particularly, um, you know, it's, it's emotionally trying um, and a bit of a difficult watch, despite how brief it is, uh, Grace, which is a film from uh, Alexia Aldini and Stephen Gray. Um, and it also stars in a role, despite only being six minutes long, it's very reminiscent of, of you know, um, Gabby's and the aforementioned Precious. Um, it's uh, Chanel Edmonds stars as a, a girl named Grace, um, who is basically forced out of, uh, um, it's a forcible eviction. I'm not sure what sh- city she lives in, but, but her and her mother are separated. Um, and, and she has to try and while living in the shelter, still go to school, still, still do everything that's expected of her. Um, she's black going to a very predominantly white school. And it's also in the mid of, you know, a very, very heavy instances of police brutality. And you really just see a, a glimpse. I don't want to call it a vignette. I, I, I feel like I, I tread the line sometimes of like mistaking certain short films for a vignette, but, but overall the dialogue is a bit minimal after the first half of it. And then it moves into to, to just quite a bit more heavy mm. imagery um, that can be difficult to watch, but still still very telling and I think very necessary. Um, but that's what it opened with. There was another, um, you know, another few interesting films that were were just as equally heart wrenching. There was a really cool one that followed uh, followed Grace immediately, which was Lady Samurai, which is a film from uh, James Latimer, and it's about Kauri uh, Kawabuki, who Caleb you might know her i don't know she's a motion mocap artist oh but she got her like she became famous through work with uh, final fantasy 13 and then she's done like every final fantasy game since then that that required what's a motion her, name? her name again was it? it's a uh, kauri uh kawabuki okay all right yeah i probably i'm probably very familiar with her work then yeah it's really cool it's a short film it just it really just like examines it's her narrating over her kind of almost practicing her, 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 her artistry, which is mostly, it's mostly performance art. And, yeah. um, so she, she's a swordsman, um, trained and, and it kind of goes into to pretty great detail about how she frames her own life and her career. And it does so over about an eight minute period. Um, but very interesting. Um, from there, one, one film that I think is another, a lot of these were just really difficult to watch again, very, very important, but, but hard. Um, it had a couple animated films that were really interesting. One that stuck out to me was a line birds cannot see, uh, which is a film by, uh, um, Amy bench, I believe. And it's, it, it documents a, a woman who is narrating her experience of, of how she was attempting to, and I'm not sure where she was migrating from, but to America, ultimately, I believe from, from South America and up through, through Mexico into North America and how she was separated from her mother, um, placed with a, I think what they referred to as like a coyote, um, which was kind of like a, you know, somebody who, who can traffic people successfully, Mm -hmm. but instead she, she ends up with in a, basically as a 12 year old, a, a, you know, a child sex ring and, and she's kidnapped and, kept there um and then at one point deported and then basically sent back into this circle and and, and eventually is able to connect with her her mother out of the kindness of, of really just one random person get back into america but again another film that's very heavy the animation does not serve to sabotage it at all i think it actually it actually illustrates the story and gives it a lot more breath um very well made i'm not sure what to compare it to because it's kind of unique but it gives me feelings of you know like persepolis maybe in a in a more right you know or the, a, the breadwinner or something like that maybe the breadwinner yeah yeah actually the breadwinner is what i was thinking of too and watching this i just couldn't think of the name 
Um, the uh, last two, the one that was the the kind of the the penultimate film was The Slows, um, which was kind of the one. It kind of stood out because it seemed like it was the one with a bit of a maybe a higher budget or maybe a, a higher production value. Not to say any of these were, I think, looked bad or anything like that, or, or, or felt that wasn't really noticeable, but this mm-hmm. one was a bit higher. It kind of felt reminiscent of kind of, uh, what was that film you referenced? It was who am I or with the, who the you computer, are, who you are, excuse me. Um, the slows, it, it kind of seems like maybe it could be like a black mirror episode or something. It's about, it's a, a science fiction. And it was one of the few, well, was, yeah, my attention. So, <laughs> right. No. And it seems like one that it, it was kind of more of the genre pieces that was in this collection it was yeah. the most genreed one yeah. honestly and it's about a, a future where uh humans have almost wiped everyone out but we found a way to save ourselves by basically giving up biological or like sexual reproduction and instead humans are born scientifically and then they're like accelerated in a matter of moments from infancy to adulthood and then they're you know, presumably a full functioning member uh, of society. And it's, that does sound like a black mirror. Yeah. Thing. yeah. And like, there's these people that live on a preserve called the slows. Hence the title that, um, abandon that. And so they have normal children. They, they, they produce sexually, but they're living in like, you know, the, the thick of, of poverty. And sounds kind of like Gattaca actually. Right. And it that way it's kind of neat. And it's about a woman who's uh, played by, um, Oh, I, I recognized her. I think it's Annette. Um, Mahintran, Mahintran. I think she's in a few other things that were, um, I think television primarily. Okay. Um, but she, uh, yeah, she's a journalist who's a five-year-old journalist, but, but an adult in this society, uh, documenting these, these people as they're about to be assimilated and their children accelerated as they put it and a really, really interesting, pretty fascinating look. What concluded was an actual, like a documentary of this. And the, and the final film was lowland kids, um, which I think, especially given the rainfall that both surrounded this film festival, but also just of recent in Oklahoma, <laughs> it was about the um, basically the United States first climate change refugees, which are out of Louisiana. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because the, the water levels are rising so fast, it's flooding people out of their homes. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's the only route to their homes are like covered in water, you know, water that you cannot drive through for, for five days at a time. They, they really can't realistically live there anymore. It was also expedited by nearshore, like drilling and oil and gas industries and, you know, all the, yeah, all the, the, cool, the, norms. All, yeah, all the, the cool things. The usual suspects, yeah. <laughs> right, right, which is also whoever programmed this one, good on them for not putting this in, like, the 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 Chesapeake Energy, like, the, sponsor the, the, the theater, sponsor or the theater. Devon or, or the, I thought og had one, too. Yeah, they do. I feel like there was a lot that could have been very you know, would have felt a little weird. I'm watching sure there was some there. intentionality so. with how that was selected. Yeah, prob- yeah, probably a yeah. bit. Fortunately, mid first bank uh, doesn't have, you know, at least doesn't seem to have anything to do with the, uh, you know, the negative repercussions that are taking place in this, but it follows a family, a very atypical family in Louisiana and, and basically their final month before they move. And it's, it's, it's about 15 minutes, but it's really trying. It's very, um, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a photo of, of what is and, and what they're going to do with this place that they, you know, yeah. lived in their entire lives, but their families and yeah. their ancestors have been for quite a while. So, 
Uh, interesting subject matter. Yeah, I'm. Um, that's an unfortunate reality we live in. Uh, Probably the most topical. Yeah. yeah, and it's weird. It's hard. It almost feels weird. No one thinks about those stories yet. That there are refugees in America who are moving climate change in, refugees yeah. specifically. The thing we sometimes argue. Well, not, I don't think any of us here, but <laughs> people argue exists. The, the like, talking heads on news channels argue doesn't exist or, or whatnot. Right. Yet. So yeah. you're telling me it's real. It is. It is. Uh, it is probably very. It's not a hoax. Probably <laughs> real. Well, I don't know. Chris, man, there's I a lot of literature. I, I think we that, could. This is that Al Gore has lots of money, Daniel. Maybe he just made this whole thing up. It was all on a stage, just like probably. The just like the moon landing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think we're about out of time, uh, but thanks so much for taking time to kind of report back and talk a little bit about your dead center experience and chase some very wild rabbits. Uwe Ball 2020 dead center. I believe in you. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining the cinematics back the first time. Thank you so much for joining uh, the Cinematropolis team. Um, it's been really been great editing your pieces so far. I know at the time of this recording, I still haven't gotten through all of them yet, but uh, it's a uh, great looking forward to seeing what else you, you whip up for us. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Awesome. Is there anywhere people can keep up with you online? Uh, probably Twitter's the best. I'm at Joe underscore lightly. L I G H T L Y. Uh, no film school and primarily uh, for film and entertainment news. Uh, and then Oklahoma Gazette, if you want to cover or read about local issues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we do have uh, some Oklahoma uh, listeners in the house, interwebs, whatever. Christopher Schultz, where can people keep up with you online? Uh, you, you can, you know, maybe friend me on Facebook. I might friend you back. I don't know. Sometimes, um, uh, Twitter is a good place, uh, but you can find, um, all my online presences at my website, which is www.christopherschultz.com. All right. Daniel Bokemper, where can people keep up with you? Yeah. So just spell, uh, Daniel Bokemper the best you can in Google. You'll probably find <laughs> me. Um, on Twitter and I forget what my actual Twitter handle is right now. So it's like bad. Daniel underscore Bo Kemper. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. That's good. I still forgot mm-hmm. it, even though it was my name, but <laughs> whatever. um, the, or Facebook, if you really want to, uh, I think I have an Instagram too. Uh, you can most importantly find me on the Cinematropolis as well as world literature today, periodically the Gazette, uh, probably a little less frequent than Joe and, uh, uh, wherever other Daniel Bo Kempers are, are sold. <laughs> mm. You should go. You should Bo Kemper Horseman. It should should be your your handle. Bo Kemper Horseman, yeah. like Bojack Horseman. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, when you s- okay, when you say wherever other Daniel Bo Kempers are sold, does that the batteries come included? Yeah, sometimes you look around. So, no, uh, lithium ion. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, all right. And of course you can find me tweeting about all the things, uh, on Twitter at C masters talk. That's letter C masters talk, but more importantly, keep up with all of the dead center coverage. We have a lot. I think we have somewhere around like uh, 10 to 12 total pieces like, between essays and podcasts and everything coming out. So you can find all of that at the cinematropolis.com or hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or on Twitter at the cinematrop. It's uh, been a pleasure. Another dead center for the books. Uh, for Joe, another film festival for the books. Uh, what, second this year? Second this year? year? Yeah, second this year. Second this year. All right, <laughs> very cool. All right, listeners, make sure to stay tuned. Well, we'll be talking about Toy Story 4. It's been a long weekend, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, 